The title of this message, for those of you who are taking notes and want to go to heaven, is The River of Life. <laughs> Just kidding. You don't have to take notes to go to heaven. But good luck passing the test when you get there. <laughs> I, uh, I've used that joke before, but it's been a year. I feel like it's been long enough. I can bring it back. Uh, you know, for all the new people, it's, it's, uh, I think it's good to recycle some of those oldies but goodies. Lisa says, she's shaking her head no. Maybe, maybe every two years we'll bring it back. Two years? All right, two years. Every two years we'll bring it back. So you just have to wait for the next time. I want to start off by talking about God's plan. And no, not the one sung by the artist Drake. God's original plan. C.S. Lewis puts it this way when talking about the meaning of life. He says, the principal purpose of creation, the principal purpose of why we're here, is not so that we would worship God or love God, although that's important. The principal reason, the chief reason why God created us, human being, mankind, is so that we would be an outlet for his divine love. So we were created in relationship for relationship. God wanted some way, some avenue to outpour his love, and so he created mankind. And that's the relationship that we need to have evident and prevalent in our church today. And he didn't just stop there. God created a space for that relationship to exist. He created a garden, the Garden of Eden. And he, he brought forth like fruit trees of every kind, vegetation, and he, and he put Adam and Eve into the garden. And in that space, the Bible says that, that God would walk in the cool of the day. He would be in communion. He would be in relationship with Adam and Eve. And we look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 8 and 10, where it talks about the Garden of Eden. It says, the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord gave, made every tree grow that was pleasant to the sight and good for food. And the tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it parted and became four riverheads. Eden actually means delight. It means land of happiness. God created this place, this space for relationship between himself and mankind, and it was a place of happiness. It was intended to be a place of delight where we could be in relationship with God, and, and we have all these beautiful trees, and we have the, the community, the fellowship, the relationship with him. So there's really nothing that we lacked. In the, in God's, in, in, in the Bible, it says that there was a river flowing out of Eden to water the garden. There was no rain at that time on the earth, and so Eden was actually the source. This land of happiness, this land of delight was a source of a river, and we know that river carries water and it brings life. So Eden was a source of life, and it says that four riverheads were established from Eden. And see, so that's kind of backwards to the way that we know river systems works, that the rain falls, it, it creates tributaries, it flows down, and eventually creates a, a larger river which goes into the ocean. But Eden itself was the source of four different riverheads. This, this source of life actually flowed out from one place. And it didn't just water the garden, it says there was a wilderness beyond the garden. So the purpose of this river of life flowing out of Eden was to water the garden, but then also to create an avenue, a way for an expansion of the garden. That new territory could be taken, that the fruit trees, the vegetation, everything could expand as the river flowed out and watered that surrounding wilderness. We need to understand that we have room to expand in our life. That, that the river of life allows us to flow into new territories as a church and, a, and individually. But as we know in the story, this time in the garden was somewhat short-lived. We don't know exactly how long, but at some point, there was temptation. The devil brought in the temptation, and, and, and 
sin was experienced in the world. And it talks about this in Genesis 3, 22, after the fall. Then the Lord God said, Behold, man has become like one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and, eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. What was interesting to me when I read this scripture is that it says that the cherubim was placed to guard the way to the tree of life. But God never told Adam and Eve not to eat from the tree, fruit of the tree of life. He just told them not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But because sin entered in, God didn't want Adam and Eve to stay in that place of sin, to be subject to sin indefinitely, eternally. So he had to block them off from access to the tree of life. He had to actually cut off eternal life so they wouldn't persistently resist or persistently sit in sin, in that place of sin. Adam and Eve lost access to the tree of life. And we know that there was a redeemer that came after that, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But it, it, it struck me, you know, why is it that we always want the things that we can't have? <laughs> and we, I, I see this in, in my boys as well. I can, in the morning, get up and, and get out two cups, one blue cup, one green cup, and I'll pour some juice into the blue cup and the green cup, and I'll go and take the blue cup and hand it to one of the boys. And invariably, he will say, no, I want the green cup. You didn't ask me for the green cup before. You never said anything about the green cup before. But it's not until I start handing you the, green cup, the blue cup that you decide you want the green cup. And so I'll switch. It's like, okay, that's fine. It's a, it's a simple request. So I'll go to hand him the green cup. And then, invariably, the other boy will say, no, I want the green cup. You never said anything about wanting the green cup one second ago. You heard your brother ask for the green cup, so why is it all of a sudden now you've got to have the green cup? And then there's huge tantrum about the green cup. The moral of the story is I need to get two green cups. <laughs> but then it wouldn't matter because there's always something. There's always some reason why we want what we can't have. And I'll tell you why that is. No, I have no idea. It's one of, the, it's one of life's greatest mysteries. You're just going to have to ask God when you get there. If you figure it out, let me know. One thing that I know that we do have, just like Adam had, is that he was given a garden. He was given a place to meet with God. And we actually have a garden as well that we're called to tend and keep. It's called our life. God has given us this life, this garden, as a place where we can be in a relationship. As I said, it's an, we've, we are the outlet for God's divine love. Like this garden, this thing that we call life is a place where God can meet with us. God can commune with us. God has given us fruits of every kind of tree, of vegetation, all of these things. We have this beautiful, uh, this beautiful outlay of life. All the plants, trees, flowers, everything, all the relationships that we have in life. God has created this garden for us. But because of sin, because of what Adam and Eve did, we lost access to that real, that real garden, the place of true happiness. Where, where there's nothing to, to contaminate, there's nothing to destroy, there's nothing to tear down, where the garden, that place of happiness, Eden, delight, just continues to grow and grow. When we lost access to that perfect place, there was a shift, there was a tear, there was a break in, in that relationship, that, uh, that outlet for God's divine love. There was something that, that got in the way of that, and so God, God had to restore that, and we know he did that in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus was, was created, he was, 
the lamb that was slain before the world began to restore that relationship, to set that terror right, to repair the terror. Jesus gave us and is, has given us the opportunity to return to Eden, that we can return to that place of delight. We can return to that land of continual happiness. And Jesus has allowed us to tap back in to the river of life, that source that, that doesn't depend on the atmosphere, the weather, that source that doesn't depend on, on, on where we're at even, what we're walking through. There's a source, the river of life, that comes from within that allows us to continually tap into that water, continually tap into that blessing. So this morning I want to talk about three things that the river of life engages in us. Three things that the river of life engages. You guys ready? All right, let's go. First thing, a soul spring. Soul spring. We look at uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 4, 13 and 14. Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. And he's talking here to the woman at the well who's, uh, who's drawing, drawing water from this well. But those who drink the water I, I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Eternal life. We know that, that the, our natural body, we can go without water for about three days. And... Um, and then after that time, our body will begin to, to break down, and we would eventually die if we, didn't, if we didn't start drinking anything. Well, like your natural body, your spiritual body needs water as well. It needs nour- nourishment. I'll drink to that. <laughs> Living water is like a 24-7 tap for your soul. It's something that, that you never have to, to bend down and take a drink. You never have to, to, to look for it, hunt for it. It's just something that's innate within you. Living water is a source that whenever you need it, it's always there. You can always be, you can always be drinking from it. It's kind of like a, a, uh, a natural spring that just kind of follows you around. Like wherever you go and all you have to do is like tap a little button on the floor, out comes the spring and then you can take a drink. Having the living water is something that... that it's, it's a part of what God wants for us and designed for us from the garden. It's a part of that land of delight, that land of happiness, where we can always be in relationship with him. We can always take a drink from that well, no matter how bad we're feeling, no matter where we're at. And usually that's when we need it the most. Is that usually that's when we've, we've forgotten to take a drink. Usually then that's when we've gone for a while and we've become thirsty and haven't even realized it. Maybe we've been so busy with life. Maybe we've got a lot going on. Maybe there's things that just pop up and, and we don't understand it and we just get busy and we forget, oh, yeah, that's right. I haven't, I haven't drunk from the well in a while. Like, but the good news is, is that it's always there. It's always there with Jesus. He's given us access to that river of life continually, 24-7. And it's not just any old water. It's, it's the purest form of water you can find. It's like having a, a, a water purification system that just is strapped to your side, and you can always drink that, that pure, unfiltered water. A few years ago, we, uh, we bought a water purification system, or we were looking for one, and, uh, and I invited one of the salespeople over to our house to give us the, the presentation and do a water quality test. And honestly, I only invited them over because they were advertising free movie tickets. But whatever works, you know, we, we got them in and they did the, the quality test. And, um, and I, was kind of, I was kind of impressed with, 
with the test that he did and, and even more so with the information that he was telling me. We all know that in Southern California, we have hard water. And that's because most of our water has to travel th hundreds, if not a over a thousand miles to get here. It either comes from the Colorado River or the Sierra Nevadas down through the aqueducts. So it travels these great distances to make it to us. But along the way, it picks up deposits. It picks up minerals and other things that really shouldn't be in the water. And so we need to correct it, purify it somehow to, uh, to have somewhat normal, stable drinking water. And uh, this kind of struck me that uh, it, it's actually a lot like life, that, that we go through life, and we were created pure. We were created with that pure intent, that pure purpose. But as we walk through life, hundreds, thousands of miles, we pick up things along the way. We, deposits will just naturally attach to us. It's not because we're trying to do it. It's just we're walking through life, and we get a little bit dirty. But God has given us the living water to purify us, to cleanse us, to, to separate us from that contamination. And, uh, and all this kind of came to me just as while this gentleman was doing his presentation. And so at the end of his presentation, we, we signed the paperwork. We bought the purification system. So he was happy. And I, and I said, well, I have a question to ask you. Have you ever heard of living water? And, uh, and I proceeded him to tell him that revelation that I had based on, on, his, on his spiel, on his presentation. And uh, I don't know if I sold him as well in living water as he did, on, did me on the water purification system, but I planted a seed in that man's life. And I actually told him, you know what, you could use this in your sales presentations. Like whenever you go and sell the purification, you know, if you see some crosses around or Bible out, just throw that out there too. Maybe you'll get another sale. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the great thing about the soul spring is that our joy is not based on or affected by our circumstances. We have that pure, uncontaminated source of water, living water, going with us wherever we go. All we have to do is tap into it. The second thing that the river of life engages in us is life abundantly. John 10, 10. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Have you ever heard the saying, can't have too much of a good thing? Living life is kind of like floating down the river. Living life abundantly is kind of like wakeboarding up the river one-handed while eating an otter pop. That's life abundantly. Christians need to have that life. Living life abundantly. Daniel's done it. I've seen it. <laughs> what, what is it with otter pops, by the way? Maybe this is me, but uh, ha, have you noticed that they're all the same color now? It, I don't know why. Like, back in the day, you know, strawberry was red, orange was orange, lemon was yellow. They, like, they, now they're all orange. Did they run out of, like, it, I don't know, maybe this is the box from Costco that I got. They're all orange. And uh, it's, they have different flavors. They all have the different colors on there and say, this one's blueberry, this one's strawberry, but they all, they're all orange. And, uh, and, of course, my boys, when they, we, we've kind of developed this habit now. Whenever we go to the pool over the summer, they say, oh, I want an otter pop on the way. So we get them an otter pop. And, and, of course, one of them says, I want the green one. No, I want the green one. No, I want the green one. And I say, it doesn't matter. They're all orange. It's all the same. I should just take them out of the packages and give them the orange. There, see, everybody gets the same thing. Living life abundantly. Christians are meant to live life to the fullest. Joy from our soul should overflow, like Denise, into every area of life. And if it's not, if you're living a life that's, that's not overflowing, if you're not full of joy, if, not, if you don't feel like you're living life abundantly, then find out why. 
What's the blockage? What's the holdup? What's preventing you from living life to the fullest? And if you can't figure it out, then go stand next to somebody who is living life abundantly, is living life to the fullest. We're meant to help each other out. Sometimes we'll walk through these things in life that we can't figure out, but God has put these amazing people around us called friends that we can go to. And I would encourage you, find friends that are living life abundantly. If there's friends in your life that aren't living life abundantly, and whenever you're around those friends, you find yourself not living life abundantly, then maybe that's a sign you should find some new friends. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. We can't always choose all of our friends. And sometimes God has, has put us in the circle of friends to be that example of life abundantly for someone else. So I'm not saying extract yourself from anybody who's negative always. I'm just saying be careful about how much you're feeding on that negativity or around that negativity. There needs to be a balance, you know, and preferably let's tilt the scales in the good favor, you know. So find five friends who are living life abundantly, and then you can pick up that one friend who's not and be that influence. And then when they start living life abundantly, then you'll have six friends that are living life abundantly. And then you can go find one, and you see where this is going. Eventually, everybody in the church is going to be living life abundantly. Amen? The third thing that the river life engages in us is a power flow. Power flow. And some of you may have already caught on uh, where this is from, but it's like the song says, I've got a river of life flowing out of me, makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. Opens prison doors, sets the captives free. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Everybody, spring up a well. It's in my soul. Spring up a well and make me whole. Spring up a well and give to me that life abundantly. Come on, there should be a power flow, a power flow in the church. That the lame would walk, that the blind would see, that, that a demonstration of God's grace, God's goodness, God's power is coming out of us. That we should be an example, that we should be a light, that we should go out and set the captives free. Who are the captives? Well, we were the captives once. We were the captives once before we met that source of the river of life. We were the captives once before we accepted Jesus into our hearts. Now this, there's this whole city, this whole area, this whole world is filled with people who are still captive and they don't even know it. That, that we have it in us. We have the power of the river of life flowing through us to set the captives free. That we can introduce them to the source of the river. We can introduce them to the Garden of Eden that they don't even know that they have. Through Jesus, we can, we can show them the door, the way to open up that gate, that access to eternal life. In Ephesians 3.20, it says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in him? No, according to the power that works in us, that it's his power, but he's put it on the inside of us. It's his power, he's the source, that spring that comes up from the inside of us, but he's given it to us so that we could flow out. Like the river in the Garden of Eden that flowed out, we're supposed to branch off into multiple riverheads. We're supposed to branch off into multiple sources of power. We're not just supposed to walk in one direction, one lane, our whole life and only do one thing, that we're actually called to influence, to impact, to encourage people throughout the wilderness. 
the wilderness around us. We're supposed to flow out in power to bring life to each and every situation that God has put on our path. You'll find as you walk through life that you have been planted in fields. You've been given fields, gardens to tend and to keep. And some of those areas of the fields have naturally occurring sources of refreshment. They have naturally occurring trees. Your family, your parents, maybe your mom and dad, people that spoke life into you, people that, that gave good fruit to you like ketchup or whatever else kind of fruit you like. Those things that, that, that your parents have provided for you, that instilled by God. God gave them that desire to care for you, to tend you, because he gave you to them. But then there's other fields, other areas of life where, where we're supposed to go and plant. We're supposed to go and, and sow the seeds and bring in water and create new life so that other people can enjoy that fruit. And not just our kids. We're supposed to do it for, for spiritual sons and daughters, for family outside of our, our natural family, because we are all one family. That's what Christianity is about, is bringing everybody into the family. Bringing the lost into a knowledge and understanding of Jesus Christ. We need to activate the Holy Spirit in our life. That is the river. The Holy Spirit is the river. He is the flow. The person, the third person of the Trinity. And that has to be activated in us. John 7, 37 and 39. It says, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, excuse me. Let him come to me and drink. I'll drink to that. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. He spoke concerning the spirit. We have been given the power to overcome all the works of the devil to bust through in any obstacles, to break through boundaries. The Holy Spirit cannot be contained in us. But what does that mean for us? The Holy Spirit cannot be contained. For C3 as a church and individually, one of C3's core values is that we're a fresh church. And, and that means that, that we're, not, we're not just looking at what God has said. That it's important. We need to be re reading the Bible. We need to be learning about his scripture and his word. But we also want to be listening to what he's saying right now. As a church, we need, to be, we need to be constantly seeking the vision, the purpose, the, what is the direction that God is taking it, his church. Pastor Jurgen and Leanne are always looking at whether or not they need to, to reset, redirect the vision of C3 San Diego. And we as, as a campus need to do that as well. Are we looking, are we listening to what God is saying right now in us and for us? And individually, it's the same thing. What is, what is he speaking to us right now in this time of our life? And we find the answers in the word of God. We find, we find the, the start. It's almost like God will, God will allow us to find seeds. And the Bible even says that, that he has hidden great mysteries in this book. He has hidden great mysteries. And it's our honor and privilege to search it out. Search it out. But what I find when I read the Bible is that I'll be, I'll be looking at one specific area. I'll be reading one specific thing. But then God will, God will give me a little word. He'll drop something in me about something completely different. Something completely else. He'll unlock something for me. He'll open up the scripture and he's saying, like, you may be reading this, but I want you to listen and hear what I'm saying. I know that you have this other thing going on in your life. I know you have this thing that you're walking through, and I want to give you the, the answer to it. And it's funny how God, like, God works like that. You'll be, you'll be praying in. You'll be pressing in. You'll be believing for an answer to something. And then, and then um, time will go by, and maybe you'll even forget about it. And you'll be on to the next thing. But then that's when God gives the answer for the first thing. 
God, God desires that relationship, and that's why he does things like that, I believe, is because it's, it's relationship. He likes spending time with us. He likes it when you're in his word. He likes it when you're talking to him. He likes it just like any of us would in a relationship, that there's communication, a relationship without communication, a relationship without connection. What kind of relationship is that? It's not a relationship I want to be in. And obviously we're not in it because you're not communicating and you're not connecting. So we need to have that desire. And when we do it, God will show us things. He'll unlock things in us. That's what it means. What does that mean for us today here? Daily, daily activities for individuals that the Holy Spirit cannot be contained. Maybe it means doing something a little bit different. Maybe it means coming into church and, I don't know, doing something crazy like not sitting in the same seat. We would never do that, right? We have our seat. That's our seat. It's our section. We always sit there. We need to be able to, to, to be adaptable. Maybe the Holy Spirit is, is prompting you to speak to somebody, urging you to, to reach out, to extend that hand. Maybe God will tell you someday, to, I want you to take a different route to work, drive differently. That's kind of crazy. I mean, why would I do that? I, I know the way to work. I always go this way to work. Why would I drive any way different? It's kind of interesting for me where I live right now. My work is, is due north of my house by about five miles. But the problem is, so is Miramar. And so I actually have to drive around one way or the other. And it's about the same amount of time either way. So, uh, so in the morning, I usually consult my friend uh, Siri or Google Maps and find out which way is going to be faster that day. Maybe I should just start listening to the Holy Spirit, asking him which, uh, which way I need to go that morning. It's funny, when I first came to San Diego, new, I was new here, I'd never been here. And uh, I met my beautiful wife. And uh, she was born and raised here, so she knows San Diego like the back of her hand. So whenever we'd be riding together, I would always just start to rely on her to give me directions. I would just assume that, that she's always going to tell me where to go, and she, she usually would. But after some time, when we'd been to a place a few times, she would, she would kind of expect that I would just know where we're going because we've already been there. But the problem is that she had already trained me to listen to her voice in the car. <laughs> and so I, every now and then, I would miss an exit. I would miss a turn, and she would get upset because she loves efficiency, and if I do something that's inefficient, she'll let me know about it. <laughs> so she says, you should know where we're going. We're going to church. How many times have you been to church? Why are you missing an exit? And I say, I don't know. You just trained me this way. It would be, be bad if I got lost or took the wrong exit coming to church now because we live across the street. The Holy Spirit operates in overflow. The river of life is constantly redefining itself. There's an interesting uh, show, an interesting series on the History Channel called How the States Got Their Shapes. And you may have guessed this already, but many of the, the boundaries of states, many of the borders of states are actually formed by rivers, which can shift and change over the time. You may not know this, but this, the boundaries of several states can and have shifted several times over the course of this country. So a federal statute was instituted which governs the way that those boundaries shift. And it says that, that if a shift occurs through gradual erosion, if the natural course, the flow of the river, just uh, little by little eats away at, at one section and changes that shift, changes that flow, then the boundary of the state actually shifts with the change in the river. It shifts with the gradual erosion. But if there's a sudden shift, which is called an avulsion, which means if there's a, a cataclysmic event, there's a flood or earthquake or something significant happens to dramatically change the flow of the river, 
then the boundary doesn't shift. The boundary stays the same. And so that boundary, which once was on the river, may be on dry ground now, may be in an area where the river is not flowing anymore. The Holy Spirit can move gradually or he can move suddenly. We need to be able to, to shift our boundaries, to shift our borders, our ideas, our processes, to stay in the flow of the river. We can't be so tied down to what the official boundary is. We can't be so locked in to one specific place, one specific area, one specific building, or, or how we do church, or the processes, the things we do, the way we set up the drapes, or the way we set up the stage. And it's, we can't be so tied to something that when the, when the Holy Spirit shifts, when the Holy Spirit moves, we're no longer in the flow of the river. We've got to be able to, to grab gradually change those little nudges, those little urges, and we also have to be able to make the big shifts, the big changes, whenever those, those things pop up. There was a, a particular case about one, one town called Williamsburg along the Mississippi River, and uh, one of these avulsions happens, whether it was a flood or, or an earthquake or, or something like that, I don't know, but the shift of the river, of the Mississippi River, changed dramatically. And this port town of, of Williamsburg, which was on the, the river, and it, it once... Uh, it once thrived on the commerce from the river, now lost its access to the river. And so naturally, as you'd imagine, the, the town began to diminish, began to decrease. Businesses started leaving, people started leaving because the flow of the river wasn't there in the, anymore. So the city planners and the leaders, they got together and they said, we've got to do something about this. So they went out and they physically dug a canal from where the Mississippi River now was back to that town because they knew that was the source of life. We need to be connected to the river. We needed to be connected to this flow, this, this source of commerce, this source of increase. And so that's how they saved the town. They dug this canal and brought the Mississippi River, brought the flow back to the town and re-engaged life. It re-engaged business. It re-engaged commerce. We've got to do that too. If we find ourselves disconnected from the flow of God, if we find ourselves disconnected from the river, sometimes we have to do the big things. Sometimes we have to do a lot of work. We got to go out. We got to dig a canal. We got to do something new. Whatever it takes to get back into that flow. Whatever it takes to get back into that source of the river. Sometimes we have to make big decisions and put a lot of effort into it. Pastor Mark Batterson in his devotional, Draw the Circle, says this. If you want God to do something new in your life, you cannot keep doing the same old thing. My advice is simple. Do something different and you'll see what a difference it makes. You see, religion likes to put everything in a nice, neat box. It likes to draw nice straight lines. And, and everybody, yeah, it's okay to be in the river, but we all just need to, to stay in our rows and just and float down the river and experience life. The problem with that is when the Holy Spirit shifts, when the Holy Spirit moves, if you just stay floating in those nice, neat lines in that nice, neat box, you're going to wind up on the bank dry. Or you're going to wind up in an eddy just circling around. There's going to be a vortex, something that's going to draw you and just going to circle and circle and circle and not get anywhere. That, that we, we can't operate in a religion where we always just do the same thing because it's the thing that we always did. We have to be looking for what the Holy Spirit is doing. We have to be looking for what the Holy Spirit is saying. We have to swim and work to stay in that flow of the river. And it is work. It, does, it, does, it is a challenge. It will take some effort. But the benefit is so, so worth it. There is a type of religion that, that God actually likes, that he approves of. It says in James 1, 27, Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. If you're going to be religious about anything, be religious about that. 
Be religious about caring for people who can't care for themselves. Be religious about, about not conforming to the way the world would have you do things or letting the world corrupt you. Be religious about being in that living water. Be religious about being in the spirit, in that flow. And that doesn't always look the same way. It doesn't always mean the same thing. It doesn't always uh, indicate that you have to be in a certain place to be in that flow. But let the Holy Spirit guide you. Let him show you. Let him direct you. There's a syndrome that, that is kind of common, especially in religious circles, that the old way is better. The old way is better. That's just the way that we've always done things, and we don't want to go through the process of change. We just want to do the old way. And uh, this, funny enough, was, was kind of revealed to me uh, in watching the movie Mary Poppins Returns, that I actually found at the beginning, like in the beginning of the movie, I found it hard getting into it because I was comparing it to the original. I kept looking at the original and saying, well, that song's not as good as that one. Well, the, the acting, the script, everything is not as good as the original. That I, just, I was just drawn to. I liked the original better. But then I looked at my wife and I looked at my boys, and they were loving it. They were so enjoying this, this new movie, the, the, the sequel to Mary Poppins. And I started to think, am I, am I being religious about this? Am I being, do I have a religious spirit? Is there something in me that's constantly leading me back to the old way, not, not wanting the new thing, not enjoying the moment? And that's when I realized we, we don't have to compare. The old way doesn't have to be better or worse than the new way. The new way doesn't have to be better or worse than the old way. It's just different. It's a different, it's a different uh, purpose, a different reason, a different theme for a new season that you're in. You don't have to dislike the, the, the old just to like the new or, or not like the new because you like the old so much. That we need to stop comparing the old way to the new way and just realize that we need to focus on on enjoying the moment, on living life to the fullest, living that life abundantly. And the truth is, is there's probably, there's not necessarily a right answer anyway. You know, maybe the old is better then, maybe the new is better now, but it's really personal preference. <laughs> it comes down to, to what you like, what is God speaking through you, which reminds me of some relationship advice. In a relationship, we, co we come into places of disagreements, of arguments, and uh, we have to ask ourselves the question, what's more valuable, being right or being in relationship? So husbands, I have, a, have some advice for you. If you, uh, if you concede a point in the morning and accept that your wife is right, which she probably is anyway, then you might just get a big win later on in the evening. I'm just saying. But if you stand your ground, if you stubbornly refuse and hold your point, you're probably going to get the cold shoulder later on. And wives... If your husband knows that you'll support him, even if he's made a bad decision, even if he's leading down a path that may not be the best one, but he knows you're backing him, you're supporting him, you'll find that he's going to work even harder to make it right. And more often than not, he's going to be more eager to, to receive your input the next time. That we have to desire the relationship over being right. There's a caveat to that, though. The old way is better. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, it says in Matthew 5, 17. Don't misunderstand why I've come. I have not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish, accomplish, not abolish their purpose. If that same old thing brings you life and brings you abundantly and creates relationship and establishes a joy in your spirit, then that's great. Continue to do it. Continue to, to soak up that river. Continue to enjoy the old thing. Continue to be in those relationships. There are some things that withstand the test of time. I think about the song Amazing Grace, a song written by a slave trader 
John Newton upon his conversion to Christianity. That song has been reproduced and remade over and over and over again. From Elvis to Aerosmith to Destiny's Child, there's, they've all sung Amazing Grace. There's so many different versions out there, 228 on Spotify. And it's funny, they all say the best version of Amazing Grace, the best version by far, 2011, best version by far, 2015, the best version by far. They're all the best version. Which one is right? Yes, they all are. In that moment, in that season, maybe that is exactly what God is speaking. Maybe that is exactly what God is saying. Maybe that is the best version for that time and that season. And we don't have to dispute it. We don't have to compare it. We just have to live it. We have to enjoy it. We have to receive that amazing grace. You see, the old and the new, the important question is this. Is it connected to the river of life? Whether old or new, whether it's an established tradition, whether it's something that you just started, is it connected to the river of life? In John 15, 4, it says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you. You cannot bear fruit unless you abide in me. I, I grew up in church. I grew up in a Methodist church in Elizabethtown, Kentucky. But it wasn't until the sixth grade. I was actually in Tulsa, living in Tulsa, Oklahoma for, for a year while my mom was getting her master's degree. And I, I don't think my parents even knew about it, but I had some friends there and they invited me to a, a good old fashioned tent revival. And it was, it was there in that revival that I came down to the altar and I made the decision to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I was, I was filled with this joy. I was filled, it's like there was a spring inside my soul that, that opened up in that moment. When I received Christ, that spring opened up and, and I didn't maybe know it at the time, but that gave me access to the garden. It gave me access to, to a tree, the tree of life, eternal life, and it gave me access to the river. It gave me access to that power flow that maybe it wasn't until years later that I actually started operating in that power. I started drinking from the river. But in that moment, I was given access. I experienced the river. From Draw the Circle as well, I'm going to close with this, this quote. When Christianity turns into a noun, it becomes a turn off. Christianity was always intended to be a verb, more specifically an action verb. One of the great dangers we face spiritually is learning how and forgetting why. Call it familiarization, call it habituation, call it routinization, call it whatever you want. But when we learn how and forget why, we start going through the motions spiritually. Religion is about conditions and comparisons. Relationship is about connection and compassion. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 San Diego, go to C3SanDiego.com.